Well, good morning. Aloha. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Good to be here with you and worship together. If you're new here, my name's Fred and I'm one of the pastors. I'll be preaching today and so we'll spend the next few minutes together. Uh, before we do that, a couple of quick announcements. One, um, our youth uh, ministry team and our kids ministry team have put together a parents night and uh, that's coming up in just a couple of weeks. And so if you uh, wanna be a part of that, please sign up online. You can go to our Facebook page to get more information. Our, our youth leaders and kids ministry leaders just wanna pour into you a little bit as a parent if you have a, a child or a teenager. And so please uh, check that out. Also, uh, we have a team going to Malawi in just a few hours, actually, at 3 a.m. Uh, tomorrow morning, we depart here from the church and, and head on our journey. And so thank you so much for everybody that's been praying for us. If you signed up to be a part of our prayer team, please remember to set a reminder each day for whatever time you signed up for to be praying. Uh, we, we have 24-hour uh, prayer coverage for this team. I'm very excited for that. Much needed. We have a lot to do um, and uh, just a lot, lot to accomplish in the next few days. And so please keep us in prayer. Much, much appreciated. Um, actually gonna invite the team to come up and join me on stage. And Pastor Greg is gonna lead us in a time of, of prayer for this team. Thank you, appreciate the prayers. Well, this being Christmas in July, uh, I wanna talk, uh, as, as Greg just touched on there, the coming of Jesus to the earth to be our savior. And, you know, a lot of people were excited when Jesus arrived on the scene and began to r reveal who he was, but a lot of people weren't excited. There were a lot of people that were actually disappointed who, and some of them had been looking forward to a coming Messiah, but were disappointed at the type of Messiah that he revealed himself to be. And so today I want to look at three types of people who were disappointed at Jesus's first coming. And the reason I want to do that is because it's possible that we would fall into the same mentality of these three types of people and have the wrong idea about what Jesus came to do. And we want to align our minds and our thoughts with, with who he really is and what he really came to do. And so after looking at these three types of people who were disappointed at Jesus' coming, we'll also look at the type of people who were excited to receive him on earth as Savior. So if you have the handout that we gave you on the way in on the back, you'll see there's a place to take some notes. I wanna encourage you to do that. In fact, while you're getting that out, um, I forgot to mention during announcements, there's a Connect card in front of you. And uh, normally we say, if you're new here, uh, grab that Connect card and fill it out. Uh, but we're actually taking a look at our database and trying to make sure that, that our, our database is up to date and that we have everybody's most recent information. So I'm gonna ask everybody to reach forward and grab that Connect card. Even if you've been here for a long time, uh, grab that Connect card if you would. Make sure we have your up-to-date information. If you're new here today, please check that box that says this is my first time so that we know that you are a guest visiting with us today. A little bit later in the service when we receive the offering, uh, you can all just drop those in the offering bucket and we would be very grateful for that. All right, while you're filling that out, let me give you another thing to fill out. <laughs> and don't feel bad if you gotta go uh, back to that Connect card while I'm talking. That's, I asked you to do that, so no big deal. But you'll see on the handout the first the first point on the handout, three types of people who are disappointed at Jesus is coming. Number one, those who desire power in this life. Who would possibly be disappointed at Jesus's arrival on the earth? Well, here's, here's one example. 
those who desire power in this life. If you're familiar with the story of Jesus' birth, no doubt you've heard of King Herod. And if you're not familiar, that's okay. I'm gonna bring you up to speed on the story. King Herod was the king at the time of Jesus' birth. But he was, he was a king under the Roman Empire. And so he was not the king, but he was kind of put in charge. The Roman Empire, as you probably know, conquered pretty much the known, or the, the known world at, at that time. Uh, but they would delegate the authority to rule uh, over certain parts of the Roman Empire to lesser leaders. And Herod, King Herod was one of those. He was in charge of the land of Israel. He was the king there. He was to be the king of the Jews. And that was a position he took a lot of pride in. He was, um, he was very ambitious as a king. King Herod built many, many great things that you can still go and see remnants of today. Um, he was also very paranoid. And anybody that threatened his kingship he took very seriously. In fact, he had a couple of his own sons killed and one of his wives out of fear that they were plotting to dethrone him. And so that background makes this story very interesting. Let's look at Matthew chapter two together. It reads, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born King of the Jews. For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way and there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. Let's skip to verse 16. Then Herod, when he realized that he had been outwitted by the wise men, flew into a rage. He gave orders to massacre all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under in keeping with the time he had learned from the wise men. This incredible story becomes an example for us of people who prefer to have power in this world over having the Savior that Jesus came to be. I mean, you think of the audacity, really, of the wise men to go to the king of the Jews and say, where has been born the real king of the Jews? You see why this upset Herod. Anybody who would lay hold of that title was a direct threat to Herod himself. And so he takes action because he values power over 
the Savior that Jesus came to be. And this is an extreme example. Most of us don't live this kind of life. But when you stop and think about it, in reality, a lot of us, a lot of us, the reason that we don't surrender our lives to Jesus is because we prefer to be on the throne of our lives. We want to be the king of our world. The reason we don't humble ourselves before Jesus is because we want to be in control. It's not always that we don't believe who Jesus is. It's that we don't want him leading our lives. And that was King Herod and many others. Many others rejected the Savior and lost out on eternal life because they wanted to be in power. This power presents itself in, in many ways. But ultimately, the, the path to following Jesus is not about being the king of your life. It's not about holding on to power in this life. The path to following Jesus goes through servanthood. You'll see on the handout in front of you that for every one of these types of people that were disappointed with Jesus, I'll give you the reason why they were disappointed. And this one is that Jesus came to teach us servanthood. Jesus comes to people who are hungry for power and he commands them to follow. Jesus comes to people who desire to be served. A lot of people are okay with Jesus as long as the Jesus that they're accepting exists to serve them. Yeah, I'll accept Jesus. He's gonna, he's gonna give me good health. He's gonna give me uh, lots of money. He's gonna give me fame or fortune or whatever. As long as Jesus exists to serve me, I'm okay with that Jesus. And therefore, a lot of people are actually disappointed when they find out who Jesus actually was and who he is today. Listen to what Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew chapter 20. This was the funny thing about the context of this, which I, I, I cut out here for the sake of time, but the context of this is that Jesus' disciples are bickering with each other over who's gonna be the greatest in Jesus' kingdom. They're arguing over who gets to sit at his right and who gets to sit at his left. Who's going to be closest to the man in power? And Jesus called them over, it says in Matthew chapter 20, and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to teach servanthood. He came to, he came to, to, to re, reimagine, if you will, or to reinvent what it means to lead. To lead is to serve. Herod, King Herod lived in this world where everybody existed to serve him. Everybody's life was only as valuable as far as it advanced his will and his purpose. And that sounds horrendous to us. We're like, what kind of person is that? And then we stop and we, we, we look in the mirror and we realize, you know, a lot of times that's kind of the way I view my life. As long as the people around me are doing the things I want them to do, I'm pretty relaxed. 
When the people around me stop doing the things that I want them to do, a different me starts to come out, right? These, this is a sign that perhaps we are also in this category of people who desire to be in power. We want to be in control. Jesus came to remind us we are not in control. And as long as we hold on to that desire to be the king, to be the ruler of our lives, we will not receive the savior. Let's look at number two. There's another category of people who were disappointed at Jesus' coming. Those who wanted their righteousness affirmed. Some people that were disappointed at Jesus' coming were, were the people who wanted their righteousness affirmed. I'll explain that a little bit. We'll unpack it together. What I mean by this is there were a lot of people who were anticipating the Messiah, which is who Jesus ended up being. There were a lot of people anticipating that, that God was going to send the Messiah to the nation of Israel. And so they were religiously zealous and fervent in their desire to obey his commands. And their expectation was that when the Messiah would come, surely he was going to look at them, pat them on the back and say, man, you're, you're crushing it. Way to go. Great job. You're doing everything I asked you to do. They expected their righteousness to be affirmed. What we get instead with Jesus is Jesus comes to expose that our righteousness is never enough. And that sounds harsh, but it's actually merciful, and I'll show you why as we go through this together. But let's look at an example real quick. Matthew 19 tells us a story often called um, the, the young ruler, the rich young ruler. In verse 16, it says this, just then someone came up and asked him, teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? He said to him, there is only one who is good. If you want to enter eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he asked him. Jesus answered, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. This guy says, I have kept all these, the young man told him. What do I still lack? And, and at this point, we don't know what this guy's motives are. We don't know if, he, if he's eager to, to find out some way that he can build upon his righteousness or, or what his motives are here. But his motives start to get revealed because Jesus very quickly exposes him. He says in verse 21, if you want to be perfect, go sell your belongings and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard that, he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Okay, so here's a guy who's doing a lot of good things. He's keeping a lot of commands. He's loving his neighbor. He's not, he's not bearing false witness. He's not killing. He's not committing adultery. He's, he's apparently a, a fairly religious and morally upright man. But there's something that Jesus knows about him. Jesus knows that his, his heart lies with his earthly treasures. And so when he comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's possible that he came to Jesus thinking, Jesus is gonna be so proud of me. And Jesus says, 
we'll go and keep the commands. And the guy, he's probably like, wait till Jesus hears how good I'm doing at keeping all these commands. And Jesus starts to list the commands. He's like, check, check, doing it, doing it, doing it. What else, Jesus? And Jesus says, give away all your possessions. And you'll have, you'll have rewards in heaven. And then come and follow me. That was the one thing this man was not willing to do. He was not interested in trading earthly possessions for heavenly possessions. He was not interested in giving up this good life that he had earned for himself in order to follow Jesus. Jesus' disciples were poor and they were often homeless and they had no earthly possessions. And this man had it all. He had a lot going for him. He, he in, in, in the eyes of society, had arrived. And Jesus, because he loves him, does not affirm the things that he was doing right. Jesus exposes his need for a greater righteousness. Why does Jesus do this? Well, the answer's on the handout in front of you. Jesus, because Jesus came to be our righteousness. Jesus did not come to affirm our righteousness. He came to do something better. He came to give a far greater gift. He came to give us his righteousness. This is what, this is what Jesus does before he goes to the cross. You know, what Jesus does on the cross gets a lot of attention, and rightfully so. Because if Jesus did not die to pay for our sins, then we could not go to heaven. But Jesus did something else before he went to the cross that's equally important. Because if Jesus did not come and live the righteous life that God requires on our behalf, then we still could not go to heaven. He came to fulfill God's commands to live a righteous life. And it's not until you and I accept and realize that we cannot do that ourselves does that become valuable to us. Until you realize that your righteousness is never going to be enough, until you realize that your righteousness is not going to get you to heaven, until you realize that your righteousness, is, as righteous as you may be compared to fellow man, your righteousness does not live up to the righteous standard that God has set. Therefore, Jesus came to be our righteousness. He came to live the life that you and I have failed to live so that we could stand before God in the gifted righteousness of Christ. We stand before God not on the merit of our own good deeds. We stand before God only on the merit of Jesus' righteous life. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He takes your sin upon himself. He dies in your place so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's what Jesus did by living a righteous and perfect life. He gifts us his righteousness in exchange for our sin, he gives us his righteousness. Is that not the greatest deal ever? That you, 
have your sin taken away and in exchange are given the righteousness that Jesus attained for you during his earthly life. That's why Jesus refuses to affirm our own righteousness. Because our righteousness is the thing that is standing in the way of receiving his righteousness. As long as you, in other, let me say it this way. As long as you think you're good enough to stand before God, you'll never come to Jesus for his gift of salvation. It's not until you realize, I have to stand before God and I don't measure up that you will come to Jesus for salvation. But the, so, and so the people who wanted Jesus just to show up and say, look at you, you're doing, you're doing so much better than everybody else. Way to go. They were sorely disappointed. Some of the most religious people of Jesus's day were, were the ones that, that received the harshest criticism for Jesus. He came and he rebuked the religious leaders again and again and again. Why? Because they weren't trying? No, because they were standing on the merit of their own righteousness. And Jesus knows that we'll never be able to stand before God in our righteousness. He wants us to have his righteousness. Therefore, he came to be that righteousness. That is the good news of Christmas. Jesus came to live the life that you and I have failed to live and he came and he died the death that you and I could not bear to die. Third, there's a third group of people who were disappointed at Jesus' coming. These were the people who wanted a political savior. Those who wanted a political savior. This was a natural response to the coming of Jesus because Israel is a political nation. The, the Messiah and the promise of, uh, of the coming Messiah had a lot of political implications. God often told through the Old, uh, Old Testament prophets that one day there was going to be a new king on the throne of Israel. Israel as a political entity, as an actual nation, that now is living under the oppression of the Roman Empire and is not a sovereign nation, had a great need for a political savior. Just like many people always do. It's this part of human existence that we live under governments and oftentimes those governments fail us and those governments don't do what is best for the people and we long for somebody to come and to fix it and to make things better. So that was... That was the expectation of many people during Jesus' day. They wanted somebody to come and right all of the wrongs that were happening to them. They wanted somebody to come and to overthrow the Romans and to take back Israel, to be a sovereign nation again, and to sit on the throne as the king of Israel. And many people thought that's what they had in Jesus. Let me share with you from Matthew chapter 21. The story of Jesus entering into Jerusalem just days before he would end up going to the cross. Now, mind you, nobody knows Jesus is coming to Jerusalem to go to the cross. Everybody suspect, or not everybody, but people, many people begin to suspect that Jesus is coming into Jerusalem 
to, to take up the position of king over Israel. Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. Jerusalem is where the temple is. Jerusalem is the center of the kingdom of Israel. And it is being ruled over by these pagan Romans who, who do not worship the same God that God gave Israel this land to come and worship him on. And for three years now, Jesus has been ministering publicly and people are starting to whisper. People are starting to talk. Maybe this is him. Maybe this is the Messiah. Maybe this is our savior. And by the time Jesus is ready to come into Jerusalem, uh, the week of Passover, which is a, this huge national holiday, Jew, Jews would have come from all throughout the Roman Empire to spend the week in Jerusalem. And so the place is packed and it's a very spiritual and very religious time for them. And here comes this guy that everybody keeps talking about. Let's pick, we pick up the story kind of in the middle here for the sake of time. Jesus had told his disciples to go and get a donkey for him. And this is where we start in Matthew 21, verse six. The disciples went and did just as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and then they laid their clothes on them and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their clothes on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. People were putting their, their clothes down so that Jesus' donkey doesn't have to walk on the dirty ground. The, the, the symbolism of their excitement here, they're cutting trees down and they're laying out this path. This is a very large crowd split, spread their clothes on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spraying them on the road. Then the crowds who went ahead of him and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Hosanna means save us. Son of David is a clear reference that they, they believe this is to be the next king. Their great king David now has a son who's going to come and sit on the throne. Verse 10 says, when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in an uproar saying, who is this? The crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Do you see the anticipation and the excitement? Finally, our guy is here. He's gonna make all of this right. All of the wrongs that have been done against the, the Jewish people under the Roman Empire are gonna be righted by this man. Here's our political savior. There's a problem though. The problem is that in just a few days, this political savior is going to be crucified. He's gonna show that he came for a very different purpose than what they wanted from him. And as that begins to get exposed, you're gonna see the people's disappointment begin to express itself from his closest followers to the people who just heard of him for the first time. They're all gonna turn on him. They're all at, at the realization that he has not come to be the political savior that they hoped for are going to lose hope and turn their backs. Let's, let's read the story of a few days later in John chapter 19. Jesus has been arrested. He's on trial. 
And it says, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside. He sat down on the judge's seat in a place called the stone pavement, but in Aramaic, Aramaic Gabbatha, it was the preparation day for the Passover and it was about noon. Then he told the Jews, here is your king. They shouted. Remember, a few days earlier, they shouted, Hosanna, son of David. It says here that they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Pilate said to them, should I crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Then he handed him over to be crucified. Now, these aren't necessarily the same people that were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, but do you see, do you see the shift in attitude towards Jesus from he's here to save us to we don't need a savior. We have no king but Caesar. This is blasphemy. This is absolute blasphemy. Why did Jesus disappoint so many? Was this a legitimate need? I mean, the pain that they were going through uh, as, as being occupied by the Roman Empire was real. Real people were really hurting. They were overtaxed. They were oppressed religiously. They weren't living the life that, that God had promised them on the land. But the reality is, is that Jesus didn't come to be a political savior. Jesus came to build a different kind of kingdom. On the handout, you'll see that's the next, next set of blanks. Jesus came to build a different kind of kingdom. This kingdom that he came, he is a king. He's just not the king that many hoped for. He's something far better. He's a king. He's just not, he's, he, he's not confined to their petty definition of a king that would set them free from the Roman Empire. He came to set them free from sin and death. He came to bring a far greater salvation. Jesus reveals this in his conversation with Pilate. It says in John chapter 18, it says, Pilate went back into the headquarters, summoned Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, are you asking this on your own or have others told you about me? I'm not a Jew, am I? Pilate replied, your own nation and the chief priests handed you over to me. What have you done? My kingdom is not of this world, said Jesus. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. You are a king then, Pilate asked. You say that I am a king. I was born for this and have come into the world for this to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Jesus' kingdom is not going to be defined by political power. Jesus' kingdom is gonna be defined by rescuing souls headed toward eternal destruction. Jesus' kingdom will one day extend to rule over the earth. But at this phase in redemptive history, Jesus is the king of those in need of a savior. He's the king of those who are desperate to have their sins washed away and to be given the gift of eternal life. 
You are a king then, Pilate asked. Jesus is indeed a king. He's a king who's building a different kind of kingdom. That disappointed a lot of people and it disappoints people today. It disappoints people to find out that Jesus isn't about building earthly kingdoms. It's disappointing to, when you find out Jesus didn't come to, to build America. He's building a very different kingdom. And we need to be careful that we don't place an undue amount of hope in the political kingdoms of this world. Now, that doesn't mean we don't take responsibility as Christians in a nation where we've been given the right to vote and to be active and, and to even enter into positions of influence and leadership. But we need to recognize that Jesus is building a very different kingdom than the one we might have in mind. And it's a far greater kingdom. It's way better than any earthly kingdom has ever been or ever will be. Hail King Jesus, the king of souls that have been rescued from their sins and have been rescued from eternal damnation and brought into eternal life. A lot of people were disappointed at Jesus' coming. But a lot of people were very excited too. I wanna give you one category of people who rejoiced at his coming. You see this on your handout. Who rejoiced at Jesus' coming? Ultimately, it was sinners who wanted a savior. Jesus' coming was good news, not for those who hoped to hold on to power in this world, not to those who hoped to have their own righteousness affirmed. Jesus came to expose the weaknesses of their righteousness. Jesus disappointed those who wanted a political savior, but who rejoiced? It was those who realized they needed someone to save them from their sins. I love the story of Jesus and the woman uh, at the well in John chapter four because it's a story of a woman who had no earthly power. She was a woman at a time when that was not an easy thing to be. She was a Samaritan living in Israel, which meant that ethnically she was not accepted among the Jews. She had been through several failed marriages and yet this is who the creator of the universe, the God who rules over everything when he came to earth, chose to seek out and talk to. And, and John records one of the longest conversations between Jesus and any person on earth is this conversation between Jesus and the woman at the well. And they're, they're, uh, they're out there, they're, she's out gathering water, Jesus meets her there, and so the conversation sort of evolves uh, 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 from water to what it means to, to really be alive and, and to experience life. And we're gonna pick up in the middle. In John chapter four, verse 13, Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. If you've ever had to draw water from a well, it's, it's not an easy way to get water. And once you get it, you have to carry it. She says, you've got water? 
that means I don't have to come back here, share it with me. And Jesus, if you notice, anytime somebody starts talking to Jesus, he always has a way of, he kind of sets them up, but like in a really good way. Jesus sets her up. He says, go call your husband and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have said correctly, I don't have a husband, Jesus said. For you have had five husbands and the man you, are, you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Jump down to verse 28. Then the woman left her water jar, went into town and told the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They left the town and made their way to him. At this woman's testimony, many more would come out and receive this living water that Jesus said would not only quench your thirst, but would become a spring of eternal life. Jesus came for sinners who need a savior. He was actually criticized for this. The religious leaders of the day would often criticize Jesus. Why is he always hanging out with, the phrase was, tax collectors and sinners. Now, if you're a tax collector here today, you're probably a pretty good person. So don't take offense at that. But tax collectors in that days were crooks. They would collect more than necessary so that they would get rich. And so that when, when they would accuse Jesus of hanging out with tax collectors and sinners, they're like, what are you, what's Jesus doing? He's supposed to be a religious leader and he's hanging out with the worst people among us. Jesus' answer was, it's not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. And he said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Sinners rejoiced at Jesus' coming. And it's not until you look in the mirror and see yourself as a sinner. I know this is the opposite of the kind of messaging we hear so often today about healthy self-image and, and all, of, all of that. But it's not until we recognize our need for a savior does Jesus' coming become good news to us. It's not until we realize I can't stand before God in my own righteousness. I have a great need of a savior in the Christmas story and the good news of the gospel is that we have a great savior. Jesus has come so that we could have eternal life, but he only gives that gift to those who recognize their need for him. So I want to close with a question. What do you want from Jesus? I'm assuming you're here today because you acknowledge Jesus came. He came to the earth. But it's pretty important to stop and ask yourself, well, what do I, what do I expect from this Jesus? What do I want from him? Do I want a Jesus who just leaves me on the throne, lets me do my own thing? You won't find that Jesus. Do I want a Jesus who tells me I'm already good enough? Just keep doing what you're doing and you'll be fine. You won't find that Jesus here. Do you want a Jesus who came to make things right in your world on this earth, some sort of political savior? That Jesus doesn't exist. But if you're a sinner who says, I need a savior, I have great news for you. 
that Jesus came and he came for you. Would you pray with me? Jesus, as we consider the beauty of your birth and what you came to do, that you came to give us eternal life, I wonder if there's anyone in this room who today knows that they need a savior and wants Jesus Christ to come into their lives, forgive them of their sins and give them eternal life. Jesus, if there's anybody here saying that to you today, would you be pleased to come into their hearts and come into their lives and be their savior? Give them the gift of new life. Give them the gift of eternal life here today. Start something new and something incredibly beautiful and amazing in their lives here today by taking away their sin, causing them to be born again into your eternal kingdom. Jesus, we surrender our desire for you to give us power. We surrender our desire for you to affirm our own acts of righteousness. We surrender our desire for you to order this world the way we want it ordered. And we just humble ourselves before you and we say, King Jesus, you sit on the throne. Sit on the throne of my life just as you sit on the throne of this world and may your will be done in us. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.